Welcome to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, April 15th, 2023, where we separate the spin from the facts. I'm Adam Clark. And I'm Eric Steiner with a look at today's top stories. Yemen's Houthis and Saudi Arabia exchange hundreds of prisoners. A French court clears Macron's pension age raise. Florida Governor DeSantis signs a six-week abortion ban. A survey finds 36% of researchers fear a nuclear-level AI catastrophe. Ukraine bans athletes from competing against Russia and Belarus. A Women's Tennis Association ends its boycott of China. Japan approves a plan to open the nation's first casino. Trump is deposed in a New York civil suit. The European Space Agency launches a mission to Jupiter's icy moons. And over 18,000 cows are killed in a Texas dairy farm explosion. In our top story, Yemen's Houthis and Saudi Arabia exchange hundreds of prisoners. Here are the facts as agreed upon by BBC News, Al Jazeera, DW, and Reuters. The International Committee of the Red Cross, or ICRC, said on Friday that Yemen's Houthi rebels and Saudi Arabia agreed to exchange about 900 prisoners over the next three days, adding that 318 detainees had already flown between the Houthi-held capital Sana'a and government-held Aden as peace talks between the two sides continue. ICRC, which is managing the prisoner exchange, also said that its planes would be used to carry the released detainees between six cities in Yemen and Saudi Arabia. The Houthis are expected to release over 180 prisoners, including top Yemeni military officials, four Yemeni journalists, and Saudi and Sudanese fighters, according to the Associated Press, which also reported that the Saudi-led coalition and the Yemeni government would, in turn, release over 700 Houthi prisoners. The prisoner swap, the largest since 2020, when around 1,000 prisoners were released, comes after peace talks between Saudi and Houthi officials in Sana'a concluded on Thursday. Further rounds of talks are expected soon. The latest prisoner swap occurred last month when the Houthis and Saudi Arabia exchanged some 880 detainees after talks in Switzerland. The Houthis captured Sana'a and most of northern Yemen in 2014, preceding the Saudi intervention the following year. The advancing peace talks in Yemen follow a Chinese-brokered deal between Saudi Arabia and Iran last month that seeks to ease tensions and restore ties between the two regional powers. Thank you, Eric. Our first round of spins tied to this story is a pro-establishment narrative provided by Al-Arabia. The Houthis have continued to threaten peace and security in Yemen since they launched their coup in 2014. However, through mediation and compromise, An agreement can be made if the Houthis and their Iranian backers are willing to compromise and allow the country to enjoy peace. Saudi Arabia is surely willing to compromise and, in fact, has always been willing to help bring peace to the impoverished Arab nation. But Iranian meddling isn't helping the situation. Ultimately, the conflict can only end in a political settlement. The establishment critical narrative comes from Al-Mayadeen. It's the Yemeni government and its powerful Gulf allies who have obstructed peace in Yemen and continue to push its citizens for standing up for themselves. But ultimately, a political process is likely the best way to end the war at this stage in the conflict. The Houthis have shown in the past that they are willing to take good-faith actions for peace, and releasing prisoners clearly demonstrates this desire. Hopefully, with good mediation, this war of aggression can finally come to an end. 
Have you ever been to a to prisoner swap meet, Eric? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, absolutely. You know, so when the highways start getting cluttered, I like to get some good prisoners out there to help clean them up. Oh, that's so you go you go up and pick your up pick yourself up some prisoners, <laughs> and uh, go go pick up uh, trash on the side of the freeway. That's uh, absolutely talk yeah, about giving know, back to the community. That's right. Keep America clean. What do you do with your prisoners when you're done with them? Oh, I just I put them in a big uh, bag and tie them up the top of a flagpole. <laughs> Want to help us improve the news? Go to www.improvethenews.org forward slash pod. Take a quick survey and tell us what you think. Now back to the news. The French Constitutional Council upholds Macron's pension plan. And here are the facts as agreed upon by NBC, Associated Press, BBC News, Reuters, and CNBC. On Friday, France's Constitutional Council approved a plan to raise the retirement age to 64. In a victory for President Emmanuel Macron after three months of mass protests over the legislation, protesters gathered outside Paris City Hall with most chanting peacefully while some set a garbage bin on fire. Unions and Macron's political opponents vowed to maintain pressure on the government to withdraw the bill, and activists threatened further protests for Saturday. The council also rejected calls for a referendum but struck down some of the reforms, citing legal flaws, including a so-called senior index aimed at urging companies with more than 1,000 employees to hire workers over 55 while right-wing Les Republicans party leader Eric Coity said all political forces must accept the decision and show respect for France's institutions. Opposition Socialist Party leader Olivier Fiore said the council only ruled on the law's legality and that the French people will fight the reform in other forms. Ahead of the decision, Macron said he would seek to meet with unions, which expressed their anger throughout the day. Macron and Finance Minister Bruno Le Maire argued the reforms are necessary to secure the pension system's future. Macron controversially passed the pension plan in March by sidestepping Parliament via a special constitutional provision, sparking mass protests and a vote of no confidence, which Macron's government survived. All right, Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A coming from Le Monde. Macron is aware of the political backlash that his pension plan brings, but he's standing firm and making difficult decisions to secure France's future. He has also reached out to opponents to hear their concerns, but they have refused to engage in dialogue, using this to divide France and cause trouble as Macron attempts to protect pensions long term. Followed up by a narrative B by Zero Hedge. Macron's government has defied the will of the French people, and it should have fallen. The grassroots support shows how much Macron's constituents oppose his policy, and to make matters worse, he used undemocratic means to advance his unpopular pension reform. French democracy looks more like a farce each day, and Macron's government doesn't represent the people. In our next story, Florida Governor DeSantis signs a six-week abortion ban. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Associated Press, Reuters, Politico, Forbes, and Axios. On Thursday, Republican Florida Governor Ron DeSantis signed a bill to ban abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. The signature followed closely behind the state Senate's approval in a 26-13 vote. The state house had passed it 70-40 earlier this month. The Heartbeat Protection Act contains exceptions, 
including in the cases of rape or incest, for up to 15 weeks if documentation is provided, and to protect the life of the mother. Florida, joining 14 other states that have either completely barred the procedure or implemented a six-week ban, is facing a challenge in its conservative-majority state Supreme Court over its current 15-week abortion limit. The new ban will only take effect if the current law is upheld. Prior to this new law, Florida's abortion laws had been more permissive compared to other southern states, including Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, and Mississippi, which have required abortion clinics to close. Thank you, Eric. We've got a Democratic spin starting this off from Washington Post. DeSantis continues to describe Florida as a citadel of freedom, but in reality, he's waging war on freedom of the press, free enterprise, academic freedom, and reproductive freedom. DeSantis is considering running for president, but if his continued restrictive policies are anything to go by, he will struggle considerably to gain the support of a majority of Americans. And we counter that with a Republican narrative coming from Breitbart. DeSantis has fulfilled his promise to defend life in Florida. While this bill also allocates an extra $25 million in funds for pregnancy centers around the state. Together with pro-life lawmakers and advocates, DeSantis has expanded the protection of unborn children and provided help to mothers across the state, proving that DeSantis gets things done. And we're going to close up this round of spins with a nerd narrative provided by the Metaculous Prediction Community. There's a 5% chance that elective abortion will be banned nationally in the United States before 2030. Report on a recent survey says that 36% of researchers fear a nuclear-level AI catastrophe. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Fox News, Fortune, Futurism, and Future of Life Institute. In a survey conducted by Stanford University, 36% of researchers said they believe artificial intelligence, or AI, could lead to a nuclear-level catastrophe underscoring concerns in the sector about the risks posed by rapidly advancing technology. Stanford's 2023 Artificial Intelligence Index report, which was conducted by researchers from three different universities, asked participants to agree or disagree with the statement, quote, It is possible that decisions made by AI or machine learning systems could cause a catastrophe this century that is at least as bad as an all-out nuclear war. In addition, the report found that 73% of researchers in natural language processing, the branch of computer science concerned with developing AI, believe the technology might soon spark, quote, revolutionary societal change. Although an overwhelming majority of researchers believe the future net impact will be positive, concerns remain that AI will develop capabilities faster than humans can manage it. According to the nonprofit AIAAIC, or the AI Algorithmic and Automation Incidents and Controversies database, controversial incidents involving AI have increased 26 times since 2012, including 2022 deepfake videos of Ukraine President Volodymyr Zelensky surrendering and U.S. prisons using call monitoring technology on inmates. AI is developing quickly and the research is advancing from generative AI to creating artificial general intelligence, or AGI, according to 57% of researchers surveyed. Artificial general intelligence is an AI system that can mimic or even outperform the brain's capabilities. There is little consensus over when and if AGI could happen. 
Last month, SpaceX and Tesla CEO Elon Musk and Apple co-founder Steve Wozniak were among more than 1,000 signatories of an open letter from the Future of Life Institute, calling for a six-month pause on training AI systems beyond the level of OpenAI's chatbot GPT-4. The letter said, Powerful AI systems should be developed only when we are confident that their effects will be positive and their risks will be manageable. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is Narrative A, and it comes from Futurism. Despite just 41% of researchers believing AI should be regulated, something obviously has to be done based on the rest of this study's results. If one-third of researchers are warning that AI could lead to a major catastrophe, and nearly three-quarters believe AI could soon lead to revolutionary societal change, then it's time to take a pause and figure out how to avoid the dangerous results AI could produce. And Reuters has a Narrative B opinion. AI is the future, and pausing or trying to set back its development won't solve any problems. AI offers a revolutionary means to address some of the world's biggest challenges, including inequity and even climate change, and it must be kept on its current track. Rather than trying to rein it in, the tricky areas of the technology simply need to be identified, and work can be done to improve them while AI continues to develop at its current pace. This story has also generated a nerd narrative coming from Metaculous Prediction Community. It says there's a 50% chance the first weekly general AI system will be devised, tested, and publicly announced by March 2026. What do you think is going to be the tipping point for AI and uh, computers to just finally revolt against man? I think we need to stop watering and uh, fertilizing them. They're growing way too fast. Well, I, I think actually you might be onto something. I think maybe if we do start watering them, we might we, we might, might short circuit them. <laughs> we might short them, but slow them down a little. <laughs> maybe bit. so. I think we might be onto something maybe there. so. Yeah. yeah. In our next story, Ukraine bans athletes from competing against Russia and Belarus. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Ukraine's Kapravda, Al Jazeera, U.S. News and World Report, and Evening Standard. Ukraine's Ministry of Youth and Sports on Friday banned its country's athletes and national teams from competing in any tournament where Russian and Belarusian athletes are also taking part, as well as competitions for sporting events for disabled people. It comes as Thomas Bach, president of the International Olympic Committee, or IOC, last month defended his decision to recommend allowing Russian and Belarusian athletes to return to individual sports after they were banned from most international competitions last year. However, a decision has yet to be made about participation in the Olympics ahead of the 2024 Paris Games. Nonetheless, Bach condemned Western governments for attempting to influence his decision. He said, quote, it is deplorable that these governments do not address the question of double standards. It cannot be up to the governments to decide which athletes can participate in which competition. This would be the end of world sport as we know it today. Some Ukrainian athletes, including Vatislav Hiroskevich, an Olympic skeleton racer, criticized their government's decision on Friday, saying it would destroy Ukrainian sports. Quote, if Ukrainian representatives are not present at competitions, then we completely vacate the international sports grounds and give the Russian-Belarusian representatives the opportunity to promote their narratives and propaganda, he said. Meanwhile, fighting raged on in many areas of the front line. Ukrainian officials said they repelled Russian attacks in Lyman, Adivka, Marinka, and Bakhmut in the Donetsk region, in addition to attacks in the regions of Sumy, Kherson, Kharkiv, and Zaporizhia. 
three civilians were reported killed and eight more were injured in attacks over the past day. In its latest intelligence briefing, the UK's defense ministry said Russia has re-energized its assault on the Donetsk oblast town of Bakhmut as forces of the Russian MOD and Wagner Group have improved cooperation. The Ukrainian defense still holds the western districts of the town, but has been subjected to particularly intense Russian artillery fire over the previous 48 hours, and that Ukraine has made orderly withdrawals from the positions they have been forced to concede. Eric, thank you for unpacking all the facts in that story. We've got a pro-establishment narrative to start off this round of spins from the star. While the International Olympic Committee cloaks itself in self-serving rhetoric about independence and fair play, allowing Russia to compete in the Olympics after it launched an unprovoked invasion of Ukraine is simply the wrong decision. The body must hold Russia and its accomplice Belarus accountable for the war crimes they've committed on the global stage. An establishment critical narrative comes from Al Jazeera. Countries who call for Russia's exclusion from sports make no mention of the scores of other countries currently involved in 70 wars across the world. This is a double standard and precisely why governments shouldn't have a say in who competes at international events. Doing so would be the end of world sports. And there's a nerd narrative that says there's a 70% chance that U.S. will top the Olympic medal table at Paris 2024. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction Community. And looking at the world of sports, the Women's Tennis Association is going to end its boycott of China. Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Reuters, ESPN.com, New York Times, and Yahoo Sports. The Women's Tennis Association, or the WTA, announced on Thursday that it will end its boycott of China and hold events in the country this September. The WTA suspended tournaments in China in 2021 because of concerns regarding player Ping Xiao's safety after she made a social media post accusing a senior former Chinese government official of sexual assault. Ping's post was deleted by Chinese authorities and she dropped out of public view immediately afterwards. She attempted to recant her accusation during a controlled interview at last year's Beijing Winter Olympics. There have been no reports of her being seen in public since. Steve Simmon, the WTA chairman and CEO, announced the boycott with the support of the WTA board of directors, players, tournaments, and sponsors shortly after the Ping post. However, in announcing the end of the suspension, Simon said people close to Ping have provided assurances that she's safe with her family. Simon had called for a full and transparent probe of Ping's allegations at the time, but nothing of the sort has yet taken place. According to Simon, the WTA is convinced that request is not going to be met, so the WTA hopes it can make a, quote, positive difference by resuming tournaments in China. The WTA reportedly plans to announce its China schedule in the coming weeks. Adam, thank you for the facts of that story. Our first spin is a pro-China narrative coming from South China Morning Post. It's good to see that the WTA has come to its senses and admitted it made a mistake. The WTA never had the right to demand anything from the Chinese government, especially as Ping publicly rescinded her accusation twice. Holding WTA events in Hong Kong and on the mainland again will be a win-win for tennis and for the people of China. And that's followed up by an anti-China narrative provided by The Guardian. The WTA should not be ending its China boycott without the government taking more action in relation to Ping's condition. 
However, this conclusion was inevitable because events in China, which accounted for $30 million in prize money in the last full season before COVID, are too valuable. And cash is king. It was easy for the WTA to avoid China while COVID was restricting entrance into the country. But once the rules loosened, the WTA was always going to cave. Do you think Ping started out playing ping pong, or do you think that was more of a pain for Ping? People possibly pose that proposition to her publicly or in private. (laughs) (laughs) News coming from Japan as they approve a plan to open its first casino. Here are the facts as agreed upon by The Wall Street Journal, BBC News, South China Morning Post, Guardian, and Asahi Shimbun. A group that includes U.S.-based MGM Resorts and Japan's Oryx Corporation won approval from Japanese officials on Friday to build the country's first-ever casino, a 5.3-million-square-foot resort in the city of Osaka that's estimated to cost 1.8 trillion yen, or 8.2 billion U.S. dollars, by 2029. The resort, in which MGM and Oryx will each have a 40% stake, with the other 20% divided among local companies, will include a hotel, conference center, shopping mall, and museum. Casinos were illegal in Japan until a 2018 law gave exceptions for games like poker and baccarat. While opponents claim it will lead to more gambling addiction, the Liberal Democratic Party has claimed it will boost tourism, with the Osaka Resort projected to attract 6 million international and 14 million domestic visitors annually. While supporters lobbied for access to what some estimate could be a $20 billion a year industry if three complexes are built, a national poll conducted after the 2018 law was passed showed 64.8% opposed building casinos, with 27.6% in favor. However, a recent Osaka poll showed 45% in favor to 38% opposed. To address a 2021 government survey that found 2.2% of the country was affected by gambling addiction, Japanese citizens will have to pay a 6,000 yen fee for every 24 hours they spend in the casino, with a portion to go toward addiction measures. As the Osaka project nears final approval, Nagasaki Prefecture has also applied to host a 438 billion yen casino resort at the House 10 Boss theme park in Sasebo, which it aims to open in 2027 though most investors for that project are still undisclosed. Thank you, Eric. We've only got one spin on this story. It's a narrative A provided by Real Money. Japan should invest in business and job growth, but not to enrich casino corporations at the expense of its traditional culture and values. Companies always overestimate the financial gains resorts will bring to the economy, so those projections should be taken with a grain of salt. Besides, any potential economic growth won't outweigh the cost of organized crime and gambling addiction that the majority of Japanese citizens have expressed concerns over time and time again. You know, it's funny. They've been they've been like doing gambling, kind of uh, sleight of hand gambling in Japan for years. You know, uh, um, oh, what's the, the the metal ball thing that you shoot them all the ball to the top and it just bounces down? Ding, 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 ding. And you try and get it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Hide the monkey. What? Exactly. And then you try and collect as many little monkeys as you can. As soon as you find, when you find nine monkeys, you win $10. Hide the monkey. In our next story, Trump was deposed for seven hours in a New York civil suit. 
Here are the facts as agreed upon by Al Jazeera, Associated Press, The Hill, ABC News, and Independent. On Thursday, former U.S. President Donald Trump was deposed for close to seven hours as part of Democratic New York Attorney General Letitia James's civil suit over fraud allegations against Trump and his family. James's suit claims the Trump family provided false information about Trump's net worth and the value of assets, including hotels and golf courses, to mislead Trump organization banks and business partners. James is seeking $250 million in damages, the amount she believed Trump profited off the fraud. She also wants to ban the Trump family from doing business in the state of New York. Trump, who has denied all wrongdoing in this case, previously sat for a deposition in August, a month before James filed the suit. The former president invoked his Fifth Amendment rights hundreds of times in that deposition. Trump's legal team's attempt to have the October trial postponed was denied last month by Judge Arthur Ingeron, who called it a, quote, seemingly simple case. This was Trump's first trip back to New York since earlier this month, when he was arrested and pleaded not guilty to 34 counts of falsifying business records. Those are the facts, and our first spin is a pro-Trump narrative coming from New York Post. Trump has nothing to hide. And he just proved it by withstanding a seven-hour grilling and describing his years of business success to a hostile attorney's general office on a political witch hunt. Like every other ongoing investigation into the former president's business and political actions, this civil case is ridiculous, and Trump is destined to prevail. And of course, that's going to be followed up with a Democratic narrative provided by Newsweek. We don't know for sure if Trump actually testified instead of pleading the fifth this time around, but if he did... His brashness might have dug him into a deeper hole. Juries in civil cases are allowed to use cases of defendants using the Fifth Amendment against them. And now anything he might have said in this deposition could be used in future criminal cases over the alleged business fraud. This wasn't the decision of a business genius. And Metaculous Prediction Community gives us a nerd narrative for this story, saying there's a 33% chance Trump will be jailed or incarcerated before 2030. I don't know about you, Eric, but I'm kind of seeing a trend. Let me see here. We've got uh, lying about his business uh, to business partners in this one, and then 34 counts of business fraud in the other one. Uh, You know, I'm kind of seeing a trend here. What do you think? Well, well, Adam. President Reagan. My goodness. We've, we've got on a spe- special guest on the podcast, folks, is uh, former President Ronald Reagan. Take it away, Mr. Reagan. That's all I have. Okay. Thank, thank you. Very, well, you know, he did suffer from dementia. Yes. Thank you, Mr. President, for coming to visit us. Uh, yes. In our next story, a European space agency launches a mission to Jupiter's icy moons. And here are the facts as agreed upon by ESA, BBC News, RFI, Sky News, Euronews, and CNN. The European Space Agency, ESA, successfully launched its Jupiter Icy Moons Explorer JUICE mission on an Ariane 5 rocket launched from French Guiana on Friday. The liftoff marks the start of a trek to explore oceans around Jupiter's icy moons. On Thursday, the ESA abruptly postponed the launch due to lightning risks at the launch site in Kourou, French Guiana. This is the first instance that Europe will send a mission past Mars into the outer solar system. JUICE will fly by Earth and Venus on its eight-year journey to Jupiter. 
where it will make close encounters with multiple ice-covered moons, Callisto, Europa, and Ganymede, to assess chances of life either in the past or present. This 1.6 billion euro mission comes at a time of crisis for Europe's launchers, which have been practically deprived of autonomous access to space as Russian Soyuz rockets departed from Kourou, the Ariane 6 has been delayed, and the first commercial flight of Vega C failed. Meanwhile, NASA's Europa Clipper mission is planned to be launched next year to reach Jupiter in April of 2030, where it will conduct roughly 50 flybys of Europa. Thank you, Eric. We've got a Narrative A provided by The Spectator. The European space program has been a bureaucracy-made disaster, as billions of taxpayer money have been diverted to the institutional grandiosity of the obsolete ESA, rather than to technical developments. This has left organization lagging even behind India in the space race. While Europe indeed has great rocket scientists, it has been a complete failure in judging the market and improving its abilities. Narrative B comes from the Space Review. If a space revolution breaks out in the coming years, Europe will not miss it as the ESA has well invested money in bold projects, achieving huge results. While the continent still lacks a human spaceflight program to keep pace with other nations, it is envisioning public-private partnerships to design, develop, and operate space infrastructure, as well as modify its inefficient geo-return contracting policy. This mission to probe the possibility of life in Jupiter's icy moons is a splash in more ways than one. And the nerds of Metaculus have an opinion. They say there's a 25% chance that Europa will be the first spot where humans make the discovery if extraterrestrial life is found by 2045. And in our final story today, a Texas dairy farm explosion kills over 18,000 cows. Here are the facts as agreed upon by France 24, USA Today, Independent, BBC News, and New York Times. A massive explosion and fire at the South Fork Dairy in West Texas killed more than 18,000 cows and left one person critically injured Monday evening, Castro County authorities said Thursday. The cows, each reportedly valued at $2,000, were huddled together in a holding pen, waiting to be milked, when the explosion occurred. Most of the cows were a mix of Holstein and Jersey breeds, representing approximately 90% of the farm's herd. While the cause of the fire was under investigation, Castro County Sheriff Sal Rivera speculates the overheating of the honey badger, a machine that removes manure from the barns, probably ignited methane gas and caused the explosion. This was the deadliest barn fire for cattle, not only in Texas, but also throughout the United States in at least 20 years, according to the Animal Welfare Institute. Nearly 6.5 million farm animals have been killed in barn fires since 2013. Of about 6 million were chickens and 7,300 were cows. Adam, thank you for the facts of this story. First spin is Narrative A coming from Independent. It is hard to imagine anything worse than being burned alive. Ironically, there are no federal regulations protecting animals from fires that kill hundreds of thousands of farm animals each year. Until the government makes laws to prevent barn fires, farms must do more to protect animals by adopting common-sense fire safety measures, including having access to fire extinguishers and completing annual fire safety training. And the Insurance Journal has a Narrative B. 
Local authorities are investigating this tragedy, and for good reason. Besides a catastrophic loss of animal life, there are now serious environmental and health issues caused by the number of dead cattle, including potential runoff into the Brazos River Basin. This is another industrial accident in the U.S. with potential cascading consequences for ecosystems and nearby communities. We have our final nerd narrative of today's podcast, and it says there's a 50% chance that at least 33.5 million commercial cattle will be slaughtered in the U.S. in 2032 if the lowest retail price of clean meat in 2026 is between $8 and $20 per kilogram. And that's according to the Metaculous Prediction community. All right, let's get our calculators out here and understand what that nerd narrative means. <laughs> Just ask old McDonald. He had a farm. Yeah, he sure did. What did he have on that farm? <laughs> I have no idea. Here was a cow. There was a cow. And after the explosion, everywhere was a cow-cow. Bits and pieces. Thanks for listening to the Improve the News podcast for Saturday, April 15th, 2023. Each day we use machine learning to read about 5,000 articles from about 100 newspapers and figure out which ones are about the same stories. For each major story, our editorial team then extracts both the key facts that all articles agree on and the key narratives where the articles differ. For more information on Improve the News, please visit our website, improvethenews.org. You can also download the Improve the News app on the Apple App Store or Google Play. For Adam Clark, I'm Eric Steiner, inviting you to join us next time on Improve the News.